0: Exodus chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Almighty Father, we ask, uh, well, we recognize uh, that you are, uh, you are not distant, uh, but you have come near in the person of Jesus Christ, and right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we know that That's an audacious thing to say, and some of us uh, will find that uh, very, very strange, Um, maybe even a little creepy. Um, But we ask that you would be near us, that you would speak to us, and that you would work in us, that we might not merely understand words of an old book, but that we might meet you the God described and made known in that book. Uh, Only you can do that. But you're good at communicating, so make yourself clear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please sit down. So we're continuing our series in the book of Exodus uh, today, and we're reading the book of Exodus for all sorts of reasons. Uh, the book of Exodus is, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Bible too well, it's right at the beginning of the Bible. It's just after Genesis. It's one of the oldest parts of the Bible, and it tells a story that you really have to understand if you're going to understand everything else that's in the Bible. So it's, it's foundational. But one of the reasons uh, that we're reading it is this. It's going to sound odd. We're reading the book of Exodus in part because we want here at Emmanuel to become a culture of freedom. <clears throat> Here's what I mean. Um, Exodus is a story and it is a book about how God got Israel free. Uh, When you meet Israel, they're enslaved and at the end they're not. And in the process of this story of liberation, God in this story completely redefines what it is that we mean by the word freedom. And so part of the reason we're reading this story is that here at Emmanuel, we want to be a people who uh, come to understand this new idea of freedom that Exodus displays. But then we want to be a people who live it out, who experience it, who become a culture of the kind of freedom that Exodus describes. We want to be a culture of freedom. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying this because our reading today, strange as it is, is all about cultivating that culture of freedom. Um, And and, and there's something very strange about this reading. Um, There's a lot of weird things. It talks about breaking donkey's necks and sacrifices and things like that. But here's part of what's odd. Exodus is this sweeping story. Um, Like I said, when you meet Israel, they're enslaved in Egypt, and there is no reason to think that they're ever going to get free. There's nothing that they can do. They can't lift a finger toward their own liberation. And Pharaoh has all the cards, and they're just in a a terrible situation. Um, Pharaoh is trying to commit genocide, and he is enslaving uh, all the people of Israel. And then, quite unexpectedly, God steps in. God takes control of the narrative. God breaks into the story unexpectedly, calls this guy Moses, who's kind of a washed-up, failed uh, revolutionary, 40 years after his uh, failed attempt at trying to help. God calls him and says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Moses then goes to Pharaoh and audaciously uh, says, God says, let my people go. If you've been with us this autumn, you know all about this. And Pharaoh says, absolutely not. I don't know why you're even talking to me. And then come these nine rounds of sanctions, these plagues, where God continually demonstrates to Pharaoh that God is big and strong, and Pharaoh is not as strong as he thinks he is. And yet, nevertheless, Pharaoh refuses and refuses, and then finally comes the tenth plague and the night of Passover. Talked about this two weeks ago. And finally, it happens. Pharaoh gives in. And this is the night of liberation. This is the night of freedom. This is the night where Israel actually begins, on the very night, right after dinner, they begin migrating out of Egypt. This is the climactic moment that everything in the narrative has been looking forward to. And you could kind of imagine... Um, Imagine the scene. Imagine, you know, I I, I kind of imagine a a drone shot flying over the, um, the, the neighborhoods of Israel as the families start pouring out of their homes and clogging the roadways and trying to make it to the border. They start leaving in that night. It's the night of freedom. And then everything in the narrative screeches to a halt for our reading. Before our reading is the night of Passover. After our reading is the next bit where they continue towards the Red Sea. There's action before our reading. There's action after our reading. And then right here, right in the middle of all of that, everything stops. And they start, and we start talking about ritual. What to do when you've got a donkey that's born? And what to do when your firstborn kid is born? And how should you celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover every year. It's weird, isn't it? Ritual interrupts action in this book. It's bizarre. You would think that this would be an appendix. Why is it here? Well, it ends up, it's really important. And here's why it's really important. Passover night, when Israel gets to leave Egypt, it is the night of liberation. But the Lord has a bigger definition of freedom than is presently in the minds of Israel. The Lord wants Israel to be a culture of this new freedom that he's going to teach them. And the Lord wants Israel to live every single day, not just that night, but every single day throughout every single generation, enjoying the freedom that he is giving them on that Passover night. And the only way that Israel is going to become this culture of freedom that enjoys year after year and generation after generation the benefits of the freedom he's procuring for them on that night is if Israel learns to remember. They've got to learn to remember. And ritual is all about memory. All right. What do we learn? Here's what we learned. Uh, Emmanuel, just like Israel, the Lord wants us to be a culture of freedom. And we will know what it is to be free when we remember what it is the Lord has done. Let me show you what I mean. Take a look at verse 11. When the Lord brings you this is Moses speaking to Israel when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites that he swore to you and to your fathers and shall give it to you you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb meaning all firstborn things all the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's and every firstborn of donkey that you shall redeem with a lamb and if you don't re- redeem it you shall break its neck and every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. All right. Uh, Use your imagination with me. And I want you to imagine uh, that, um, I want you to imagine an Israelite family, not on Passover night, but about 200 years in the future beyond Passover night. So in your imagination, uh, go from Passover, go forward in time, about 200 years, and imagine that you are uh, looking one beautiful morning, uh, at an Israelite family uh, waking up, they're farmers, and the whole family is really, really excited because the night before uh, they had had their donkey had had a cold, uh, which is exciting. I expect um, donkeys are hugely valuable, right? Uh, a hugely important part of their financial future, and nevertheless, and and irrespective, it's, it's kind of it's. Fun to have a new colt running around. Is that what you call a baby donkey? Is that a colt? Anybody know? Yes, that's helpful. Thank you. Great. Fantastic. You know you're in Manhattan when no one knows. Um, Anyways, we're using our imaginations here. So, okay, so early in the morning, they go out to see the colt, right? But what happens is this. It's very strange. The family walks out, and instead of going straight to the colt, they walk over to the sheep they got a flock of sheep, and they find uh, uh, about a year-old lamb, uh, really good condition, valuable lamb. And the father, with the family around there, takes out his knife and and kills the lamb. Sacrifices the lamb in obedience to this verse that we just read. Sacrifices the lamb in place of that new cult. And right at that point, the oldest son in the family... um, pipes up and asks the question that's probably on our minds now. It goes like this. Daddy? Daddy, what are you doing? This is weird. And not only is this weird, this is a waste. Uh, This lamb is valuable. That colt is valuable. Why does a lamb have to die? Because our donkey had a colt last night. That didn't make any sense. And then comes the crucial moment, because what happens is this. The father, spackled in blood, looks at his son, kneels down in the dirt, looks at his son in his son's eyes and says this, Son, son you know who we are, right? You know our story, don't you? Son, we were slaves in Egypt, and there was no way for us to get out. And we lived under the tyranny of Pharaoh, and there was no way that we were going to get ourselves out. But then one night, the Lord did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You remember the story, right, son? The Lord took the lives of the firstborn of the sons of Egypt after nine rounds of sanctions. But on that night, the Lord didn't take our sons because a lamb died in place of all of our sons... And that was the night that we went free, son. You know that story, don't you? And the son slightly rolls his eyes and says, yeah, Dad, I know, I know, I know. But, Dad, what in the world does that have to do with our donkey? Because, Dad, that's ancient history. That's like what is it, like 200 years ago? That is a long time. We are not slaves. We've never been slaves. And Grandpa was never a slave. And no one we know in our family history has ever been slaves. We own this donkey and we own this lamb. Why are we hung up on the ancient past? This is our property. It should be our choice. And then the father takes his son's face in both his hands. And he looks right into his eyes. And he says, oh, son. Oh, son, you don't understand. This, this is our story. Son, actually, this is your story. So He says, son, you don't remember this, but, but when you were born, your mother and I did the same thing. It was just like this. Because you were born and we were so excited. But we also knew that you could never really belong to us. We knew that you belong to the Lord, and, and, and so a little bit, a few days after you were born, we came out and we took a lamb a lot like this one, and, and your mother and I told each other the story of our freedom, and what the Lord had done that we could not do for ourselves, and then we took a lamb just like this one, and we sacrificed this lamb for you, for you. and in that moment, what we were doing is we were giving you over to the Lord so that the Lord who redeemed our family hundreds of years ago might be your redeemer today and tomorrow and for the rest of your life and for all of your children. This is your story, son. Now, I want you to think about that conversation for a minute and and think about the son's intuitive idea of freedom and the father's idea of freedom. First, start with the son. So the son's intuitive idea of freedom is basically an idea of autonomy and self-determination, independence. Um, He's not a slave. His family is not enslaved. He's very happy about that. And he's glad, I'm sure, that Israel gained independence from Egypt many years before that because for him, what that means, at some level, he can run his own life. Um, his understanding of freedom is uh, he, he, he's not bound to this uh, external tyrannous authority anymore. And that's really, really good. And therefore, the donkey's his property. And therefore, uh, his, his choice. It's, freedom is basically autonomy for him. On the other hand, his father is deeply shaped by the story of Exodus. Exodus. And his father knows that all through the book of Exodus, autonomy and self-determination ends up being a kind of phony freedom. We've talked about this before, haven't we? Haven't we? Uh, think about Pharaoh. So in the story of Exodus, Pharaoh, a I man if anybody, is autonomous and self-determining, it's, it's Pharaoh, right? I mean, Pharaoh runs his own life. He's not a slave. He's all about self-determination. However, throughout Exodus, you find that Pharaoh, though he looks free at first, he's actually not free at all. It's a phony kind of freedom. Because what happens is this. His self-determination leads to self-absorption. His self-absorption leads him to affect a terrible kind of tyranny on the people that he serves in this nation, both the Israelites and the Egyptians. He owns, in his mind, the whole country, and his principle is his property, his choice, but that makes him completely tone deaf to justice, and he enslaves everyone and himself under his strongest desires. It's a phony kind of freedom. And for a lot of us, um, this becomes the unspoken default definition of freedom that we pursue, right? I mean, it kind of makes sense. Um, I, I was reading a BBC article recently um, that was reporting it. It was saying that um, apparently narcissistic personality disorders are on the rise, um, which is news apparently. <laughs> and, um, and 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 what was what was fascinating about this article is it was saying that um, it was pointing out the benefits of a little bit of per- narcissistic personality di- disorder. Um, it was saying you know. That narcissists are really, really successful at work, by and large, and they're happy because nothing phases them. <laughs> um, and, and, and actually, this article was saying, you know, um, it was quoting somebody who's a, a mental health professional who was, who was saying, you know, perhaps we shouldn't think of it as a good thing or a bad thing. We should think of it as a, there are helpful elements of a little bit of narcissism and unhelpful bits of a little bit of narcissism, which was a remarkable thing to hear somebody say. Because, of course, on the one hand, there's success, and there is a a, a sense of, apparently, a a certain type of happiness that one experiences. But the flip side, and the, the article talks about this, the flip side is that they become blind to their own guilt and shame and their own responsibility, and they become just profoundly toxic towards everybody around them. Now... Note this, they may think and feel that they are free. But the reality is that they are experiencing a hopelessly shallow type of freedom. And actually it's not a freedom at all because it leads them to abuse and to enslave the people around them in different ways. And every one of us can think of people that we know who have affected that on us or on others, leaders that we can think of and, and you can even think, see those dynamics in your own life, can we not? Okay, back to our story. Because the father knows all this because he's been deeply shaped by the book of Exodus. And he knows that Exodus is all about a different kind of freedom. What's that? Well, in Exodus, freedom for Israel is not simply autonomy. It's intimacy. It's not autonomy. It's intimacy with the Lord. Here's what I mean. Freedom, in Exodus, it includes political liberation. Don't imagine that it doesn't. It includes political liberation and goes beyond it. The Lord wants Israel not only to be an independent nation, the Lord wants Israel to be a nation that is deeply defined by a relationship of trust and love and dependence and thankfulness to the Lord. He wants them to be a nation that knows him. And therefore, Passover is this remarkable night where the Lord shows Israel in vivid detail that he is worthy of their trust and he's worthy of their love. He's worthy of their dependence and he's worthy of their deepest gratitude. That is the night of their freedom because that is the night when they begin to see just how trustworthy the Lord is. And that's the basis of their intimacy with him from that point on and forever. Now, but here's the thing. Follow me here. If real intimacy in the book of Exodus is all about intimacy then that intimacy must be renewed at all times. It's not a one-off thing. Intimacy is never never a one-off event. And that explains why it is that the Lord wants Israel to learn to remember. Memory, friends, is part of the bedrock of relationship. Take away your memory, and in the process, we will also take away your closest relationships. So... The father in our story that we're making up. He sacrifices a lamb when his son is born. And it's a moment of joy. He's remembering the Lord's character. He's remembering the Lord's kindness. Did you think that sacrifice was about duty? No, he's remembering and enjoying. And his own love for the Lord increases. And his love for the, as his love for the Lord increases, he's experiencing the real depths of true freedom. At an ever increasing level. And therefore, on the moment that, on the morning that his that donkey is born, the father looks in his son and says to his son, Son, you will know what it means to be free when you will remember what it is that the Lord has done. Do you remember what it is the Lord has done? That will be the measure of your intimacy with him. But then keep on going with that family, because imagine the scene about 20 years later. Jump forward in time of about 20 years, and imagine that that son is all grown up, and he has a family of, him, of his own. This night, they're not outside. They're inside, gathered around the table, and his family is celebrating, and he's leading the family in celebrating the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and maybe this time, imagine that it's his daughter, one of his daughters says, Daddy, Daddy, why are we eating unleavened bread on a night like this? Unleavened bread is hard and crunchy, and I prefer it soft and spongy. Um, What are we doing? And her dad thinks back to that morning 20 years before with that donkey and his father. And instead of giving a big speech, he just says verse 8. Look at verse 8. It is because of what the Lord did for me. When I came out of Egypt. Now notice the pronouns there. This is what the daddy is supposed to say. At the feast of unleavened bread. It's not what the Lord did way back then. It's not what the Lord did for us. It is personal. It's what the Lord did for me. He taught. He. It's 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 his story, and it's fully owned personally, even though we're hundreds of years after the night of Passover. The son, the daddy at the table, is enjoying freedom because he's entered into personal intimacy with the Lord himself. That's freedom. And that's the freedom that the Lord wants for us. Because it was at a Passover dinner, a little bit like that, many, many, many years after that, When Jesus himself picked up unleavened bread, he picked it up and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. And in that moment, what he was saying is he was saying from this night forward, we will not only look backward to the night of Passover, but you will look to this night and what will happen in the next 12 hours. In other words, he was saying, I, disciples, am God's firstborn son. But there is no lamb to redeem me, says Jesus to his disciples. There is no lamb to redeem this firstborn son of God. Rather, Jesus says to his disciples, I will become the lamb to redeem you. And to redeem not only you, but all nations and all peoples for all time until the end of time. So that from this day forward, it's as if Jesus says real freedom and real intimacy with God will come to you precisely as you remember my sacrifice for you. Now I said at the beginning, part of why we're reading the book of Exodus is that we want to be a culture of freedom. And that's the kind of freedom that we want. And if we're going to be a f- people of freedom, then we must be a people who learn to remember what it is that the Lord has done. That's when we will know what it is to be free, deep down. Not just, not just theoretically, but th- we will be able to taste it for ourselves. And it, and encourage it and give it away to others. And so my question for you, Emmanuel, is how clear is your memory? Um, some time ago, I was talking to a friend uh, who's a follower of Jesus. Um, he's kind of on the short list of people I admire most. And he said to me, he said, Jim, he goes, you know what's funny? He goes, he goes ah, I don't mean to brag, but I've got a good memory. He says, uh, I don't, Forget my wife's birthday, and I don't forget our anniversary, and I don't forget my clients' names, and I don't forget the technical details of the projects I work on at work. I've got a good memory, he tells me. He says, But do you know what I do forget? He says, I forget that God's good all the time. He says, I forget almost every day that God can be trusted. He says, despite my story, and if you knew his story, you would know why this really, really matters. He says, I forget that that Jesus in particular has a really good track record for me. He says, Jesus is more important than all of those things that I remember so well, and yet he is the first thing that I forget. And that's why I have to remind myself of Jesus every single day. And that's the application for us let me point out two things. If we're going to be a culture of freedom, we have to learn to remember and remind. First of all, we need to learn to remember. Do you notice in this reading how um, Israel's calendar, economy, and family life are all mobilized to help Israel remember the Lord every single day? Do you remember that? Did, did you notice that? So the calendar... Uh, Every single year, they celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's an annual reminder of the Lord to foster that intimacy and sustain freedom. Then the economy. They have to sacrifice the firstborn animal. Uh, That's going to be a huge deal economically. It's an economic reminder. And the family life. Each firstborn child must be redeemed. Now, what does that mean for us? Because we don't do those rituals. Well, for Christians, it implies this it implies that our time and our money and our relationships should all work together to help us remember Jesus and worship Him. So, for instance, time. <clears throat> Let me just ask you some questions. Do you set aside daily patterns of prayer and worship? And note here, Emmanuel, even as I say that, I know some of us will say, oh dear oh dear, and and, and we start feeling guilty, stop it, please, I love you, please, the reason I say stop it is because as soon as we make that a guilt conversation, we have twisted it out of all proportion, out of all intention, our daily prayer is designed to release freedom deep down within us as we remember our Lord who gave his life for us, let it be a joy, And then weekly patterns of worship. That's what we're doing now. And annual patterns of worship. That's why we do the church calendar and stuff like that. It's not because we're supposed to. It's because we're just rehearsing the Lord and practicing remembering. Time. Is your time mobilized to foster true freedom and intimacy with the Lord? And then finances. Do you give? Um, It's normal for Christians to give about 10% of their income. Um, And it's never a payment. What it is, is we give a portion of our income to the Lord to help remind us about how the Lord gave everything that he is to us. The, The Christian story is about God giving all that God is to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Not one aspect of God was held back, nothing. He didn't give 10%, he gave 100%. All that he is, he gave to us. And therefore, the Christian life is a joyful response of saying, because you have made us free through your self-giving, we will give ourselves to you. And that is freedom. That is intimacy. And financially, we, we uh, symbolize that by giving a portion of our income. Not because that that's a payment, but because all that we are belongs to him. Well, A part of the path, part of the Lord's plan for you for financial freedom is giving. Uh, And then, if we're going to be a culture of freedom, we must learn to remember. We all must also learn to remind each other. And this is where the relational piece comes in, and the family piece. Look back at verse 9. Do you notice how the family in this reading is designed as an instrument for describing the beauty of the Lord to each other? Verse 9, look at it. All the rituals are designed so that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. The way we see it, say it here at Emmanuel is we exist to describe the beauty of Jesus Christ to each other and to the world. Now, today, the Christian family, uh, you can think of it in two, two different ways. The Christian family, on the one hand, is a you know, kind of a literal physical family, mom, dad, kids, that kind of thing. But it is also, for Christians, The Christian family is also the local congregation. And that means that Jesus calls every single one of us to become a people who are skilled at reminding each other of what all that the Lord has done. And through reminding each other, and I mean this literally and verbally, as we remind each other of all that the Lord has done, from your mouth you will be imparting freedom, intimacy with others. Can you think of a greater privilege? We exist to describe the beauty of Jesus Christ to each other. And so let me ask you this question. Are you learning how to do that? Here at Emmanuel, I hope you hear the beauty of Jesus Christ described to you. But then don't stop there. Learn to open your mouth and describe and articulate the beauty of Jesus Christ to others. Now, this uh, passage has a particular application to Christian parents. So, mommies and daddies. Your job is not merely to raise successful kids. Your job is to point your kids to true freedom in Jesus. And that's why we bring our kids to baptism. That's why we surrender our kids to the Lord. We give them up for adoption to God. And then from that day forward, we tell them the story of Jesus as their story. Son, daughter, you are a slave To sin and self, and if you're not careful, you're a sweet little narcissist. And Jesus died to liberate you from you and from sin and from the devil and adopt you as God's daughter and son. So repent and believe the gospel. Is that the the central message of your home? But it's not just parents. It's all of us. Every one of us needs to take up our privilege of describing the beauty of Jesus Christ. Learn how to do it. So that when your friends are captivated by a phony freedom, you'll be able to recognize it and then begin to hold up Jesus to your friends and tell them how Jesus has given you real freedom. And this passage encourages you to speak of your own freedom. Speak of your own freedom. And the Lord will use it to awaken desire in those whom you describe him to. And when you're at work and you realize that your industry has become tone deaf to justice and ethics, or when you find you, you are in a society or in a nation that is tone-deaf to justice and ethics and true freedom, learn how to describe the beauty of Jesus Christ right into the brokenness of the world that you see around you. Ask the Lord to open your mouth that he may declare your praise. He'll give you new gifts to do it. And then as you do it, and as we describe him, then we will become a nation, or not a nation, we will become a people and a church that is truly useful to the flourishing of our communities as we hold up the one who purchased our true freedom. And Jesus says, if I am lifted up, then I will draw all people to myself. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel, And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.